Hello, and welcome to One Stop Co-op Shop, your one stop for board game news and reviews. This week, game designers Peter Gusis and Michael Kelly will review a cooperative game and have a related design discussion. Hello, and welcome to the One Stop Co-op Shop, your one stop for co-op news, reviews, and playthroughs. And today we are reviewing Resist. What's up, Mike? Hey, Peter. Good to be back with you, buddy. Good to be back with you, man. Although I feel like we've been working together a lot on our own game, trying to get stuff yep. finalized. So uh, we usually do one design night a week, but uh, I guess we've stuck to one. But we're we're probably should be ramping that up here soon. <laughs> well, one plus we're generally like doing some extra stuff on our own separately. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Flame and Fang, everybody. It's got a BGG page, a BGG page with nothing except the cover art. <laughs> but yes. go check it out. <laughs> we do have more than that. It's exciting. I'm getting excited as we get closer and closer to launch as we're playtesting, like those last couple playtest sessions, just to make sure the language is correct, really. It's these little things you don't think about when you're not actually doing all the publishing and stuff yourself, really just every little last edit. And uh, it's scary when we've gone through the game like 40 times and we're still finding little mistakes like, oh, we forgot a period here or, oh, this doesn't have a whatever. So you wonder how mistakes make to final print? Well, I can tell you, you can't edit enough times, and even still, I'm sure there are going to be little stuff that that gets through after all that. Maybe there's not. Maybe there's not. We're being pretty (laughs) nitpicky. We are being pretty nitpicky. But, well, nobody else might notice, but we will. We'll be like, oh, we forgot a period here. Gosh darn it. (laughs) (laughs) Yes, as if that's going to, like, totally ruin somebody's fun. But anyway, besides our own game, uh, yeah, we're talking about Resist today, and we've kind of timed this because... Even though Resist, I think, is out in many places, you can buy it. And it's Resist with an exclamation point, by the way. Resist! Resist! I think last week, the follow-up game with a different theme, but a lot of similar mechanics called Witchcraft, with an exclamation point as well, is now on, I think, GameFound. Oh, so is it currently live as we are speaking? It is currently live. Yeah, let me even see how many days it has left. I was going to say, why don't you talk 21 days left. And it has currently... 300% 300% of its goals so far, although its goal is only $12,000, so it's at 36000 or not dollars, euros, or whatever that symbol is. <laughs> so, uh, Oh, yeah. Mike, we uh, just lost, like, you know, all of our European audience. Yes, that's Europe. I'm sorry. I'm Come sorry. on, man. But yes, so uh, Witchcraft is live. I guess in our final thoughts, I can discuss a little bit about how it compares to Resist, but Peter's only played Resist. I did a preview for Witchcraft, so you can go watch that if you uh, would like to. But yeah. Uh, I'll let you know my thoughts a bit. And then uh, we're also going to talk about why card games and do they have theme? Like, can well, you yeah. achieve theme in a card game as well as you can in a uh, board game? The answer, maybe. Sometimes. <laughs> <laughs> All right, uh, Matthew Rose in the chat says, hey, Peter and Mike. Hey, Matthew. Thanks hey, Matthew. for watching. Yep. Yeah, feel free to say hi or throw comments in as you're uh, watching. And of course, uh, check out the audio stream of the podcast as well if you're here for that. Thanks. Uh, but let's uh, let's thank some patrons first. Peter, that sound good? Yep. I, I feel like that's the right move. Yes, yeah, so we have a, a Patreon, patreon.com slash one stop. And it's a lot of fun. I, I do uh, two videos or more a month that are only there, sometimes with Peter. Sometimes Colin's done a few. I think Steve's done one. Uh, so we got like a nice mix over there. At this point, there's like 40 videos. So that's, uh, you know, that's like weeks of one-stop co-op shop secret viewing that nobody else can access. So yeah, we, we love everybody supporting there. That, uh, it's helped. Uh, Peter, you bought a new computer recently, right? Yes, and that's why my audio so is jacked up on the stream for the last few weeks. I will figure so, it so out, see, I you're, promise you. 
Your Patreon dollars at work, helping Peter <laughs> screw up the audio for all the streams. And I bought a new microphone because my microphone died on stream too. Uh, and I said, yeah, I got using... a new microphone as well. I just, bu- <laughs> I, I literally just bought a game for fifty something dollars that I want to cover on the channel with Patreon money. So, yeah, it is going to us like making our equipment better, going to us uh, buying more games to cover for you all. So yeah, we want to uh, thank this week Stuart McCullough, Stephen Collins, Katrina Ruff. Daryl, no last name. Daryl's too cool for last names. And Drew Michelson. So Stuart, Stephen, Katrina, Daryl, and Drew, thanks for your support. And if uh, your current financial situation doesn't allow you to help us out on Patreon, uh, no worries. You can subscribe to the streaming channel, to the main YouTube channel, rate the podcast on Apple or wherever you're listening to it. That gets us a ton more attention. Then we can win the Golden Geek next year with your help. <laughs> yep. So yeah, uh, but we really appreciate all your help with everything One Stop Co-op Shop is doing. By the way, did you say Steve and Colin? Did they like join together to put a Patreon like pledge together for us? I think I'm trying to remember. I think Steve did one, and I know Colin. He Colin did a reaction to my top videos of last year, and I did a reaction to his top videos of last year, kind of making fun of each other. Yeah, I mean, I'll say right now, the Patreon videos tend to be like goofier stuff, for better or worse. Like I have like a lot of top ten lists, like that are kind of odder, like my top ten Renegade games, or my top ten Chip Theory games. Well, there aren't ten Chip Theory games, but yeah, well, there, that was a joke. You, you've taken it way too far, Mike. I said because oh. you said Stephen Collins. And I said, Steve and Colin, is that like one Patreon name that they like? Is that like the Bre- Bregelina or whatever? <laughs> Stephen Collins? <laughs> yes. Stephen Collins' love it defies the, the constraints of time and society. It cannot be denied. By the way, we haven't had this in a while, but we did have a Patreon uh, email. Remember we used to have that as a pledge level where people could like do a shout out? on the? Is that still a pledge level? I think I took it away. Oh, okay. Because we did get one yeah, from Colin. Yeah. Well, okay. <laughs> he's said? not even a patron anymore Peter. he doesn't even make sense anymore who says yeah colin used to be a patron of our own patreon and i was like colin stop giving yourself money or whatever the heck you're doing <laughs> but colin so, said i love marvel champions it's my new favorite game so i mean he, he does like it fine i think right yes he does i mean you know and actually I don't, I don't know i feel like he might be i think he said that he's Waning? stopping collecting it again <laughs> maybe Oh, Colin. Well, he probably bought... Here's the problem with any living card game. If you buy too much of it at one time, like, it's overwhelming, right? You almost have to buy it as if it was coming out. Like, buy the core game, and then wait a bit, and then buy one expansion when you're, like, tired of the core... You know what I mean? Like, if you just try to buy all in, and I think that's a problem I've had with Lord of the Rings and things like this in in the past, is if you buy it all at once, it's too overwhelming, and it's too hard to, like, ramp up. Yeah. Matthew Rose vomited $400 in the all-in for Elder Scrolls. So I I am lucky, Matthew, in that usually I get review copies of Chip Theory game stuff. Not always. So I had to buy some stuff myself and regretted not backing it for a better price. But yeah, I'm hopeful. I think I might get to try out. uh, I've been talking to them about doing a demo of Elder Scrolls at Gen Con this year. My first Gen Con. Peter will be there. Almost all of the one-stop co-op people will be there. And then I think I might get a review copy. Fingers crossed. But it definitely won't be an all-in $400 review copy. Usually they send some of the more basic stuff, so we'll see what happens. But I'm very excited to play it. I love Too Many Bones. My Unbreakable pledge should be coming someday. Who knows? So I'm definitely excited to play Elder Scrolls. But anyway, we're we're way off, we're way off the farm. Uh, Peter, what have you been playing recently? So I bought Clank Legacy in 2020, and then the pandemic hit. So there was that. And ironically, I just busted it out to start playing recently. And who am I playing with? The people I was in lockdown with all the pandemic 
which is my uh, family. So uh, I've played. So it's kind of like Pandemic Legacy, where you can kind of play it without doing the legacy stuff. So I played a game a few turns with my daughter. um, And my wife and I were planning on playing a few turns and literally played a whole game of like it basically is like regular clank you just don't read the legacy stuff just to get them familiar with the mechanics of the game see if they wanted to play 10 games with me and they both seem to really enjoy it i know my son loves the game he loves deck building games so i'm super excited to get clank legacy started with the family cool man well my first one is also clank funnily enough (laughs) it's like literally at the top of my list i ordered i was talking about patreon money i ordered uh clank catacombs which is the newest version and it arrived today and uh my son i, I borrowed peter's copy of clank in space and uh, my son and i played that and he liked it enough which gave me the confidence to order clank legacy because he we've been playing uh, the star wars deck building game of tom and he's just like really into deck builders right now yep so yeah clank catacombs i'm gonna definitely do a playthrough of the solo uh, app mode uh on the channel at some point but yeah short answer i don't know why i would ever play any other version of clank <laughs> Than catacombs, like you liked it that much yes. better. It's just so much more interesting, and there's and it's less setup. Like I, I don't know what else to say about it. <laughs> like I mean, the big Clank thing in is space. To be fair, is a lot of setup. Yes, the the regular. Well, no, Clank, what though, I mean is, um, like a big thing is this is a change from the series. You don't put the tokens like on the surprise, uh, the secrecy like spots anymore. You know, you don't put like you don't put any tokens out at the beginning. You don't yeah. put any tokens out in general. So the, the big thing for those who have not seen Clank Catacombs, which, by the way, is, like all the other Clanks, a competitive game with a solo variant in an app. The, the big change is that you are now exploring the uh, the board as you go. So you start out with, like, this one big double-sized tile on the board, and then you can go, with, like, whatever direction you want, and you get to rotate the tile when you move on to it. So you get a big advantage for being the first person there. Yeah, and then they have, like, this lock-picking thing where, like, you're picking locks and opening doors as you go. It was just so cool, man. I mean, I died horribly, as I usually do in Clank. I went, I delved too deep. And my son's like, I got an artifact, Daddy. I'm like, that's okay. Your, your little puny artifact can't match the one I'll get. And I did get an artifact. And then I immediately died <laughs> way far away from the entrance. <laughs> so, but yeah, it was, it was awesome. Definitely. I mean, you know, it's based on one play, one day. I haven't had much time to marinate on it, but I have not played Clank Legacy either. Peter's talking about, but I've played uh, original Clank. I've played in space. This is easily my favorite, without a doubt, of those uh, so far. Cool. I was lukewarm on the Clank games when they came out. I think because there was so much hype around them. You know, that can that, can, that turns me off a lot of times. I don't know why. But I was lukewarm on, on, on at first. But the more I play them, the more I enjoy them for what they are. I don't think it's some big strategy fest, right? But I, I think it's fun to build a cool deck, and I think it's fun to go down and explore in the dungeon. So... Yeah, for me, I, I like Clank a lot better than I did when it first came out. And I think part of it is, as you said, I think they've innovated and improved since the original Clank game. So Yeah, because uh, I, I personally liked In Space better than original. I've heard Legacy is the best of those ones. I'm curious where I would land on Catacombs versus Legacy. I mean, the fact that I can just play Catacombs and not worry about a legacy <laughs> it definitely puts it ahead for me. I'm not a legacy guy. Well, By the way, I, I see in the chat... My uh, video is out of sync. So if you're listening on the podcast, everything is perfect. Well, and that's why I'm not doing anything because I know I've had all kinds of audio issues and we could try to fix it, but it could take 10 minutes of us futzing around and I'm not doing that. So 
Sorry for everybody live. Just try not to look at Mike. I mean, I try not to look at Mike yeah. anyway. Yeah, so. exactly. Don't look at me anyway. I, I'm really just an AI generated personality. Like this is not my real face. So just you know, you got, you imagine got, like, whatever you want here. Max Headroom stuff going on. Uh, uh, <laughs> I, 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 I. That's right. All right. Uh, you want to do another game, Peter? What have you been playing? So we both played ISS Vanguard this past weekend. Which oh yeah, I forgot about that. <laughs> well, that's why I'm here, Mike. That's why I'm, I'm the memory of the group. <laughs> yeah, right. <laughs> that's like the exact opposite of the truth. But uh, yeah, no, it, it was fun. I, I will be honest. It wasn't a game that like I could see the good the good of the design when I first started playing it. But it really took me a while to latch on the mechanics. I'm not exactly sure mm-hmm. why. I mean, it's not overly complicated, but it's a game I really enjoyed our session this weekend. In fact, so much so that we left it set up on the table. So we will continue playing it for the next couple of weeks, I am sure on our normal game night. So it's going to take over our lives for a while. So don't expect any new reviews. We'll just be re-reviewing ISS Vanguard for the next like two months. So uh, yeah, P- Peter and I are playing with our friend Jerry through a campaign. They are still not as far as I was when I was playing it solo to cover it on the channel. But I- I'll reiterate, playing the exact same planets, but with other people and going like with different characters and using different like dice and actions, it felt still pretty fresh. Like, it- you know, it's it's a fairly... Playing through some of the planets can be fairly linear because, like, the same kind of stuff happens. But, yeah, it was fun. And, and, you know, I hadn't played in a while, so I'd forgotten a lot of the stuff that happened. So, yeah, I really like that game. Playing it again with you all reiterated that. And I was really happy that you enjoyed it, Peter, because I know you were definitely the the lowest on it of the three of us. Yes. Which makes the, the possibility of us ever finishing the campaign way lower. So if you're having fun, I know I'm having fun. Jerry seemed to be having fun. We might actually get through it. We might actually you know, find the builders or whatever the heck we're supposed to do in that game. So, uh, yeah, I'm happy you enjoyed it too. Yeah. And I think you said you enjoyed it more multiplayer because you weren't so focused on the mechanics, which isn't always true for games like this, right? Like, I think that's why it's important to, to mention, you know, we don't always go back and re-review stuff because honestly, we don't always go back and replay stuff after we're done with a review of it. But I think it's important to mention, like for a lot of games like this, like story, based games you want to play them through solo or two players at most because like that way you just get through and get to your turns faster but i think Mm -hmm. the nice part about this one is the mechanics are are solid enough where you know playing it multiplayer means you don't have to focus so much on those mechanics and you can focus more on the story and just enjoying what's going on yeah i'll throw out a few more quick ones um stalker uh, S period, T period, A period. Yeah. Uh, Stalker is the new Awaken Realms one, and that's live on uh, GameFound as of today. I was about to say, I, I, hope it's I, <laughs> I think I had the first preview for it, and they put it at the top of the page, even though I was critical of some parts of the game. So that was kind of cool. Uh, but yeah, this is a campaign based, although it's like mini campaigns. I didn't know that when I covered it because they, like, that wasn't entirely clear in the prototype. But now looking at the page, it's like three, I think, or four missions together. And that's an entire campaign. And suddenly I already like the game. Now I'm like, heck yeah, let's go Stalker. Because I'm I'm so much more into, speaking of ISS Vanguard, I'm so much more into like bite-sized games. Like I beat all of Valor and Villainy. You know, that's a that's an eight scenario campaign with some side missions if you want to do them. Like that level of stuff, like three to ten scenarios, I'm all over. Once you go into like 20 to 30, I, I get a little bit dull. But yeah, a Stalker. It's got a pretty cool noise mechanic. I, I don't love it. Uh, that's the thing people have kind of rebelled against the most in the comments. Like uh, some of them seem to find it fiddly. It didn't seem that fiddly in my play, kind of dealing with the noise. 
And I liked the tactical implications of like making noise over here, like throwing a grenade over here and having the enemies go over to check it out and sneaking around them. I still think there's some uh, some rough points to clean up, but Awakening Realms tend to do a pretty good job in their like, development of games with that sort of stuff. But like the story, the way combat works, uh, the action system, uh, the scenario design, like all that seemed really cool. And the, it's like kind of a post-apocalyptic thing. It's based on movies and video games that I have not seen and have not played. But yeah, so that that's a that's a big one. Uh, again, my preview is up. There's other videos. I think Rolling uh, Solo did like a series or something. So go check that out if you're interested. It's, well, it's a big, expensive uh, game with minis if you want them, and like 3D terrain if you want to pay extra. So you can parent it up as much as you want. Speaking, <laughs> I think, of, uh, speaking of campaigns, though, uh, Terrence and I have been playing Lord of the Rings, the first big box campaign that came out, Angmar Awakened. So we've gotten through two oh, missions okay. of that. So uh, yeah, that's what I've been playing. Still enjoying Lord of the Rings. Not going to surplant Marvel anytime soon, though. That is for sure. Okay. Um, that's my quick update on that. Yeah, I, I think Lord of the Rings is a great game. It's still definitely my third of the cooperative LCGs, like at the bottom. Would you put it above Arkham right now, Peter? What do you think? I would only because I don't think I like it better. But as far as okay. desire to play. Because I know if I'm in for Arkham, I'd have to play an entire campaign. I wouldn't be yeah, satisfied yeah. playing one-off missions. And Lord of the Rings and Marvel, I can take out, play for an hour or whatever, and be done with it. Um, yeah, no, that's a, that's a very big thing in their favor. I mean, I know like Lord of the Rings had, you know, Marvel has the the campaigns, and Lord of the Rings has the uh, the sagas that are like an official kind of way to play a campaign mode, but. But yeah, you don't no, have I get that. to. Like each of the missions is self-contained enough and fun enough on its own. We are playing through a campaign, but honestly, the only thing that carries over is this like one side quest where it's got like blood tokens on it and you can't get let it get mm-hmm. too high. So it's just like an extra le- like little bit of challenge associated with it and maybe you get like a little benefit here or there, but you wouldn't you wouldn't miss it if it wasn't there. And in fact, it didn't come with the original game. So I know you wouldn't miss it if it wasn't there because it wasn't originally part of it. Yeah, yeah. You know, playing through the story is fine, but it is what it is. Like all these games. The story is like yep. not why I'm playing them. <laughs> all right. Uh, I got a few more. I'll just I'll just run through these quickly because we, we're going really long before we actually get to uh, the review. Um, yeah. So Expeditions, I had a, uh, a play of that. Now I have a review of that. That's the new Stonemaier, uh, a sequel to Scythe, but very different gameplay. I loved it. Well, loved it as much as I can love a Euro. Like, am I going to hold on to it for 10 years? Probably not. Uh, but in terms of Euros with a solo mode, I thought it was excellent. I really enjoyed the competitive play. I really enjoyed the solo play. Turing Machine. I forget if we talked about that last time I was on. I think so. That's a... Uh, oh, no, no. We okay. just played it since then. And Expeditions, I guess, too. Yeah, yeah. Okay, so Turing Machine is a... Uh, is a competitive like deduction game and has a solo mode. I'll have a video coming with a solo mode soon with like kind of a mini review. Adore it. Uh, super fast, but really fun like deduction. If you like that kind of thing, it reminds me a lot of, I don't remember. Anyway, it reminds me a lot of something. I'm sure I'll say it in the review. Um, and then finally, the last one uh, I've been playing with my kids is Flashback Zombie Kids. It's in the Zombie Kids like kind of universe uh, from Scorpion Mask, who just uh, crowdfunded the Dead Cells board game. Uh, This is a very family weight kind of like mystery game where uh, each card is a different perspective on like what happened. And then if a card has like somebody in it, you can it'll tell you which card to draw and then you'll see what that person's seeing. And then, oh, there's a zombie over here. Let me see what that person's seeing. You know, there's a bird up on this power line. Let me see what they're seeing. So you solve the mystery 
by kind of pouring over these different like angles and perspectives of the scene. And it's, it's a really cool thing. Reminds me a lot of micro macro crime city, which is certainly a compliment of a video of that coming soon too. So those are some things I've been playing with my kids in alone. Yeah. And I played expeditions with you, had a blast with it cooperatively or competitively. So I think it's good. Yes. It doesn't have co-op. And then I played Turing Machine with you also, again, competitively. But I thought that was really cool. I think you compared that one to Sudoku, like kind of doing a yes, yes, yeah. puzzle. Yes, it's very Sudoku, like you need to, except the rules change each game. So it's like Sudoku, but it's not always one through nine in each box and row and column. It's like this time it's sixes for some reason or something. It's it's a cool one. It's a very mathy yeah, puzzle. I want to play it more. It's yeah. very mathy. Which, which I liked. <laughs> you know, I'm not so big on word puzzles, although I guess I did like that one game. That one where it was like Wheel of Fortune, where you're flipping down panels as you were and trying to guess the phrase. Oh, or whatever. Um, yeah, yeah. That, uh, what was that? Uh, the Asmodee, or not Asmodee, or former Asmodee one. Yep. Uh, the thing. I can't the, remember. The, the but anyway. Project. Yep, anyway. Um, but yeah, it reminded me not of that in gameplay-wise, but in the, the puzzle-solving aspect. Like, I'm tr- you're trying to solve puzzles, and, and, you know, it worked the same part of my brain, I felt like. Um, yeah. You know, the puzzle-solving part. But... Without further ado, let's get into yeah. our review of Resist. And uh, Mike, it. you want to cover the theme this time and I'll quickly go over the round summary? Sure. Yeah, so um, crap, now I, I want to double check real quick. I think I know the correct uh, historical period. I, I believe it's the Spanish Civil War. Right? Uh, yeah, 1936, Spain. Yeah, so uh, for, for those who only studied uh, World War II in high school, before that, uh, the forces of Franco were like fighting against a Maquis rebellion. I'm pretty sure that's right. The Maquis were also in France, but I think they were naming themselves after the Spanish rebellion. Steve, you're, if you're still in the chat, correct me on this. Anyway, yeah, so uh, so long story short, you, you are playing the resistance here, trying to throw off uh, Franco's authoritarian control, and you're trying to complete missions. And in real life, that went horribly wrong. So usually it's going to go horribly <laughs> wrong here too. Like... You have varying levels of uh, victory, as we'll talk about later, but even like the the middle to high levels of victory are kind of like, yeah, you sort of did something, but you still got crushed and you still lost horribly. <laughs> so, yeah, but that, that's the general theme. It is a is a real life like war kind of counterinsurgency theme, but with very charming artwork. <laughs> yeah. And, and the basic mechanics of the game is there's going to be four steps to the game, but the goal of the game is to complete these missions. And every night you have to go on a different attack mission. And you could do it with some people hidden. You could do it with some people, you know, in their attack mode where, you know, they're outwardly rebelling. Um, It's kind of a deck building game, but not really, because you start with half of your... Maquis, which are like your cards that you have, you start with half of them, but it's not like any are better than any others. So you do start with some in your like hidden reserves, but you also have some that you could recruit later on, but it doesn't mean some are better than the others. Now they do have a way you could draft them at the beginning of the game, but a lot, or or the other way you could do it is just like split the deck in half and and kind of start. It works a lot like a deck builder in the fact that you're drawing five cards and you're going to be playing these cards. The difference is how you play them. Well, first of all, when you look at these cards, they have two halves to them, a right and a left. And the left is if you play them as hidden, which means you get to keep them. They go back in your reserves. They're kind of doing things in the stealth. The right side is if they're openly resisting and they're attacking uh, or they're doing it uh, in the open. And so you're playing cards to the left or right. If you play them in the open, though, then you lose them and they go away. So they're removed from your deck. And again, none of these cards are worse than the others. They're definitely situational. But, you know, you are losing cards from your deck. And, you know, that's definitely some one way you can, like, 
have really bad turns later on is not having enough cards to be able to like do a full set either of five cards or a lot of times they'll have you drawing cards out of your hidden stack. And if you don't have cards there, those cards are actually obviously worse and things like that. Um, so you're going to be playing cards, but basically to beat this mission. And at each of these missions, they're going to tell you when you put the mission down, what is the defense value of that mission? Like a number you need to beat. And then you put a certain number of enemies down to defend that location. And you don't know what they are until you travel there or some of the powers might be to reveal enemies at a location or whatever else. So when you attack a location, you flip up all the enemies and you basically then start playing your cards. And again, this is solo only game. So you're going to play cards to either again, hidden or open, and they may have an ability that triggers when you play it during the planning phase. It might, it'll say plan, or they might have abilities that trigger during the uh, attack phase. So first you do all this planning stuff, Then you actually first you do planning, then you choose a location to attack, revealing all the enemies there. Then you do the attack step where you basically add in more of these cards that you play in front of you. And then you compare your value to the values of all the enemies there. There's stuff that like dismisses enemies right away, ignores the powers of the location you're attacking, all kinds of stuff. But you basically have to fight a location every day. And then you do the aftermath. And it might say, some of these enemies might say survive. If they survive, they might do certain things to you. Or it might say they have defensive power, which means you have to defeat them first or whatever else. So you're basically adding your numbers of your cards. And if you play them on the left, they have a different value than if you play them on the right. You're adding up all the values of all your cards, comparing it to the defenses. You're defeating enemies as you go. And you really want to defeat the number of the location. If you don't defeat that, then that's going to count as an undefeated location. And if that happens twice in the game, you immediately lose. Other stuff will happen, but basically that's what you're doing. So you're planning out your attack. You're doing performing the attack, then you do the aftermath. You basically adding up all the numbers, removing enemies, that kind of thing. And then you do a recover step where you basically discard your cards based on whether you played them hidden or revealed to the appropriate discard pile. Then you draw a hand up of new cards and you do it all over again. And you're trying to get through as many locations as possible. You can end the resistance at any point and just basically bow out count up your score. But if you keep going, you can lose in three different ways. You could lose, there are these spy cards, which are basically junk cards that go into your deck. If you have a handful of spy cards, you lose. If um, they'll defeat civilians, like at certain points, they're like counter gorillas or whatever that end up killing um, civilians. So if those end up dying, you'll lose the game if, if five points of those die. And then the other way you can lose the game is if you lose two of those uh, missions that you're going on. So that was, I guess, a little bit more long-winded than normal, but... Oh, my God, dude. What was that? (laughs) See, this is why we switch. This is why you do the theme and why I do the mechanics, because you always go into way too much detail when you do the mechanics. Well, I don't know. I We've had it go both ways. You just taught every rule of the game. (laughs) I know. Now people can play. Oh, my God. All right, anyway. Yeah, but that, that, that's how the game plays. Let's get to our five points. If you haven't listened to us or watched uh, the YouTube uh, reviews before, we're going to talk about the five most important things that stand out to us about the game uh, in order of importance to us for the experience. And, uh, yeah, I'll go first, Peter, since you uh, just talked a bunch. And mine is uh, the victory conditions and the scenarios. So this one's almost a mix for me because the main like thing you're going for in the game is basically victory points. Uh, each of the missions that Peter mentioned that you complete is going to give you a different number of victory points. And they just have a chart in the rule book. And it's like, Hey, if you got this many victory points, uh, you did this well in the resistance. If you got this many, you died a little bit less. If you got this many, you still lost, but it wasn't as bad. Um, so that's not too exciting to me. That could uh, push it way down. 
But the thing is that the mechanics of the victory points and when you stop, because you can stop whenever you want, you can like stop playing the game after any mission, but you got to kind of push your luck and go for more if you want to get a higher score. I find that interesting. And the thing that really matters the most to me is that they have this uh, scenario book that comes with the game. And that has very defined victory conditions as opposed to the like victory point kind of structure of the main game. And the scenarios add a lot of variety. So if they didn't have the scenario book, this would probably be a mix or a full on con for me because I just don't love like in thematic games going for like victory points as my sole thing, especially when it's just like looking at a chart for what, what it means. But with the addition of those scenarios, I think it's great. I like the variety. It's going to appeal to different types of gamers. So uh, it ended up being good for me, but it wasn't at first. Yeah, and my number five is the locations. So the way the locations work is each location, like I said, has a defensive value, tells you how many enemies go there, but it also has a special power. And usually it's a defeat condition. So when you defeat it, something happens. You might have to add a spy to your deck. You might have, or it might give you something beneficial. So the harder it is, typically the more beneficial thing it does for you. And the easier it is, usually the the more detrimental the defeat condition is for you. And the nice part about it is that they balanced it really well, I feel like. So Mm -hmm. the locations, while they do get repetitive and there's not a lot of them, they really do determine the order. So you're going to have four revealed at a time and you get to decide which one you're going to attack. But it really does... You know, their special power might influence uh, along with the enemies. If you could flip them up and see what they are early, really help determine where you're going to go for that round. And it really does make a difference the order you attack those locations at. And it's all based on that location power for the most part. So that's my number five, the locations and how they vary up, you know, how you want to do things on your turn. Yeah. And I kind of combined that with the enemies from a number four. So yeah, there's both the missions, the locations you're going on, and then you have, like Peter said, face-down enemies that get revealed when you attack there by some abilities. And yeah, this is pretty much a full pro for me as well. Uh, I'll echo everything Peter said about the missions. They're well-balanced. They have interesting like powers and stuff. Yeah, they can get a little bit repetitive, but still the order they come out. And and the big variety is not the missions themselves, but the enemies guarding them. Yeah. It's always going to be like the same number, four or five, you know, or whatever. But the feel of a mission can be drastically different based on the enemies. Like, and my, my, my favorite thing, and this is kind of like going throughout the game with the whole like uh, hidden and revealed mechanic too that Peter mentioned where like you lose the card or keep them is that so many of the enemies are a short-term, long-term kind of uh, weighing in your mind. Like, you know, there's an enemy that won't do anything to you right now, won't stop you winning the mission at all, but they'll kill one of your cards or they won't do anything right now, but they'll uh, add another spy another like dead card to your deck or they'll add other mint like enemies somewhere else or you know whatever or like you don't have to defeat them at all but if you do you get to recruit another person so i love that usually you have enough power to do a bunch of things and it's not obvious what the best one is there are interesting choices to be made you know do i want to do the thing that's good for me right now do i want to maybe even lose the mission because you can lose one and still win the game i I just love those choices and the variety that comes from these different enemies mixed with the missions. the missions by themselves don't have a ton going on but when you throw in the variety of those enemies i think it's awesome yeah and my number four kind of goes with your number five which is the campaign of the game and i think this is the way to play the game honestly maybe even your first game i played it without the campaign the first time i played And I kind of wish after I started playing the campaign that I had played with the campaign because actually the first mission makes it easier. And the first time I played without the campaign, I was like, I don't know what I'm trying to do here. 
I don't know when I should stop or not, right? There were a lot of what-if scenarios. I almost feel like the base game without the campaign is a good after you've played through the campaign and, like, just want a, a replayable game. I feel like it's a good place to go at that point. Or after you play two or three missions, because mission mm-hmm. three seems to be the, like, the tipping point where it gets to, like, normal game difficulty. Because mission three is basically says, play a normal game, try to get 35 points. Right. Like that is literally mission three of the campaign. So but before then, you know, they do some things to shorten the game a little bit. They do some things to change up your thought process and almost give you a goal of the game. Like the second mission you're trying to kill, you're trying not to lose any civilians at all, basically. So you're really focused on the, you know, defeating of anything that'll get rid of civilians. So it gives you a focus when you're attacking locations and you don't have to like play through a full set of you know, campaign missions or whatever. So I don't know. I mean, you could just play without those, but, you know, just play, you know, a shorter game, basically. You just bow out early or whatever, too. But that's that's one of the nice parts, I guess, about the non-campaign version, is you could bow out whenever you want. But I like the not going for victory points as a condition. I like the fact that they usually give you something to do, and it's like, defeat these three locations and remove this many cards from the game or whatever else. You know, that to me is more fun because it gives me more focus. That's yeah, and I do in a way, I wish that they had, like, called it out in the rule book more. Like, hey, we suggest you go to the scenario book and play the first scenario. Because you're right, it's pretty much like a tutorial, Yeah, you know? Um, it, or at least tutorial difficulty, because, like, you don't use, like, the hardest things, you know? And it's just a lot more straightforward. So, yeah, I think the scenarios are six awesome. locations, so it's going to be a super right. fast game. Rather exactly. than the, like... So it, 12 or whatever you play through on a normal game. All right. uh, So my number three is the luck in the game, which is all based on card draw. And this is going to bother some people and not bother others. For me, I can see like the, you know, the annoyance sometimes, but it also is like entirely building up the replayability and variety in the game. So I'm into it. But yeah, so you get card draw luck with the missions. You get card draw luck with with which enemies are at which missions because they have like variable strength. You know, you might get like all the hardest enemies on the mission you happen to go to. And they might have all the worst powers that combo in all the worst ways. And you're like, oh my God, I'm just totally dead. Or you might like draw, you know, sometimes you get all your spies, all these like dead cards in your deck. Sometimes you get them all in the same hand and you're like, I can't even beat a mission right now. <laughs> you know, so th- th- there are times where the card draw can can kind of screw you or make you very lucky. And again, this is going to depend on your taste. I, I think for this kind of game where it's super quick, where the choices are still meaty, but even if you lose, you can still just set up and play again very in a very brief amount of time. I think it's cool because, man, nothing is more exciting than when you flip all the enemies and you're like, I totally got this. Like, I can handle all these guys. You know, <laughs> like, I think, you know, uh, the, the, and this is something we talk about a lot in our design discussions. You know, the flip side of randomness is both frustration and joy, right? Like, you can't replicate the joy of good luck uh, in a game with no luck just like you can't replicate and maybe you don't want to the frustration of bad luck. So yeah, I think this is luck that serves a purpose, luck that adds variety to the game, but also luck that will frustrate some gamers for sure. Yeah, I didn't put the luck in there, but I, I definitely agree. There's definitely card draw luck. There's certainly end of games. Uh, so Michael Newsom, by the way, says, I appreciate the detail, Peter. Thank you, Michael. I appreciate you. Um, Michael, my name is also Michael. Can we, you know, can we, can we rally together here? <laughs> 
Like, I'll be honest. Jump, my, jump over it, to the Peter side. It was only like five minutes, dude. It was like not that long. Get out of here. It was the longest rule explanation we've <laughs> ever had of the podcast. That is certainly so not go, true. Some of the earlier everyone ones. Go back and listen to all our episodes. <laughs> it was an easy task. Go back and listen to hundreds of episodes. And just, <laughs> go, right. go listen to the early ones where we definitely went into way too much detail on like no, these right, big right. giant games. Um, yeah. So, yes, I appreciate you, Michael. Uh, my favorite Michael that I know. I don't even know any other Michaels I like, to be honest. Um, no, that's fair. That's fair. <laughs> All right. So my number three is the enemies. So as you mentioned already, every location gets these enemy cards. And that is where the swinginess, the randomness, but the excitement comes from as you go to these. And I'll be honest, the nervousness. Like, I still get nervous every time I go to a location. I'm like, oh, oh man. Yeah. Um, like, I don't, I like the dread of like playing this game is real for me. Like I get really nervous, like even just playing the game, let alone like going to those locations, like, oh my gosh, I got to deal with all this stuff at this location. And how do I like, you know, get rid of the, or I got to defeat this one first, but this guy gives all of them plus one to their defense. So I'd really like to get rid of that. Do I have one that can discard a card? All right. Which power can I use for that? Um, so it creates this interesting puzzle and that is what creates a puzzle. And I think for some people, it's going to create this sense of excitement. And for other people, it'll be anxiety-inducing and dread-inducing, uh, like it is a little bit for me. You know, Salvation Road, it's funny because people have been reviewing that game more and more recently. I don't know why, but I've just read a lot of reviews lately. It's like, oh, I love this game, but that that flip at the end of the game, right? And it's uh, Last Hour has that that Fantasy Flight game or whatever, Final Hour, where you get this yeah. flip at the end and it's like, oh my gosh. And some people love that and some people don't. The nice part here is there are enough guys that will let you scout a location ahead of time so that it's not necessarily that if you don't want it. So I, I do like that part of it. But some people love that like anxiety, that tension, that whatever. But some people I know are going to cause some anxiety. For me, it's a little both, in all honesty. I, I definitely get more anxious than I should playing this game, and I don't know why. But uh, that's that, that's it for me, is the uh, that enemy flip. All right, and my number two is, there's two distinctions. Like, my number one and my number two are both the, the card play and the actual, like, Maquis Resistance Fighters. Yep. So my number two is the plan and attack phase. So some characters have a plan ability. Some play, uh, characters have an attack ability. Sometimes you can choose either one. And it seems like a minor thing, but plan happens before you pick which mission you're going to, before you flip over all the enemies there, before you see what you know, doo-doo you've stepped into <laughs> in your resistance fight. And the attack phase happens after you have perfect information, but... Also, after it's too late to go somewhere else and be right. like, ah, you know what? That bridge, that can stay there. We're going to blow up this dip- depot instead. Um, so, so yeah, I, th- I think that minor difference that some abilities activate in plan phase, some abilities activate in act- uh, the attack phase, and also just like the feeling of before and after and making that hard choice of the mission to go to. I think it's a, a big part of the interesting card play. Now, there's a bigger part that'll be my number one. But I think that kind of adds to the whole like tactical yumminess of this very quick, very like inexpensive little uh, inexpensive, I should say, a uh, little card game. Um, I think that attack uh, plan thing is great. Yeah. So I'm, I'm going to because I think you're going to talk about this other part. So I won't get into it because my number two is the card play yeah. as one. Well. I put cool card play um, the two sides again, whether you play on hidden or visible and then also whether you play it for its attack event or its uh, planning event. Now, the nice part for me, because I was anxious again, this game caused a lot of anxiety for me. Uh, like, I don't know. It's one of those cards. Where, like, it 
it seems a lot more daunting than the gameplay actually is. Because when you look at these five cards, first of all, they're bigger than normal cards. So it's not like a normal deck builder in that way. And then you're like, oh, there are these two sides of the card and I could play it to either side. And then each of these cards have these phases on them. And oh my gosh, like the decisions were kind of overwhelming when I first looked at it. But the one thing I've learned to do as I play more is really any card that doesn't have a plan effect that I care about, I just put face down and I don't even look at it. So it helped me parse how I play. Like if it has two attack effects, I don't even care about it until I'm deciding what location to go to. I'm going to play all those plan cards and, and again, just ignore anything that either doesn't have any plan actions at all. Some will just say attack on both sides, even if they're hidden. Some will say plan on both sides and some will be like plan or attack. And I'll look at those for a second and go, okay, do I care enough about this to do this now? Or can I wait? Cause honestly, for me, waiting is better because that way, uh, uh, most situations it's better because that mm-hmm. way it's like, okay, now I know whether I want to play him hidden or not hidden. I get all the information of what I'm fighting before I'm deciding what to do with the, the cards in my hand. So when I did it that way, it, it lessened the anxiety because it's like, okay, I really only need to look at these two cards right now. Okay, how important is it for me to play this card on one side or the other? Let me go ahead and figure that out. So I do think the decisions are interesting. I think they can be overwhelming at first. Mm-hmm. I don't know if you felt the same way, but oh, for over, sure. over time... Because you're looking at 10 things right away, right? Like, it's not like a normal deck builder. It's like, oh, this gives me one power or one money or whatever. There's like a a whole sentence on each side of these cards for a lot of them. Now, some of them have nothing. But um, once I learned that I didn't have to worry about the attack ones, it really lessened that for me a lot. So uh, I do. And and what always a slightly different method for anybody who's going to play the game or witchcraft. What I do is I assume, of course, I'm going to play perfectly and not need to kill anybody and not need to reveal any of them. So I only looked at the left side of the cards. And then once I realized like, oh, crap, (laughs) we're not going to do it. I got to kill somebody. Then I would look at the right side of the cards. So that that kind of division helps my brain kind of parse things uh, through. Yeah, no, that's that's cool. All right, so your number one, you said is going to be my number one is, yep, hidden or revealed. I love it. Yeah, Peter (laughs) described this as kind of like a deck builder, but it's really a reverse deck builder because ninety percent of the building is cards dying from your deck, (laughs) right? Because uh, whenever you play them for their revealed side, stronger strength, better ability. Then they are captured or killed by Franco's forces, you know, and you're you're out. (laughs) That guy's not there anymore, and. It is a so tough and, and it combines with the like missions getting tougher because you start with the act one missions, then act two and then act three and they get harder and harder. It combines with that push your luck choice. Like, do I stay in? Do I keep fighting or do I just take what I've got and get the victory points I have now? That all combines with the fact that as the game goes on, your forces are dying or being arrested. You know, like you, <laughs> like you only got like four cards that are good left in your entire deck. Yeah, it's just, it's great. It's tense. Like Peter said, it is such a hard choice. Like, who do I want to ditch? Who do I want to keep? Because those those revealed powers are so strong in most cases. And they're built, you know, like you'll have a person who does zero damage on their left side. It does four damage on their right side. And suddenly yeah. you can blow up everything you want to blow up. Yeah, so I, I just love that mechanic. And uh if if even if the game had nothing of the other good stuff i think that would still be an interesting choice but as it is it all comes together into like this really lovely uh tactical combo yeah so my number one is and i just put the word maths there is a lot of maths in this game it is adding up all your points adding up all the points of the enemies 
forgetting the number you added up for yourself and having to re-add it up again. Um, like just going back and forth. It's like, okay, I need, I have 14. They're at 17. How do I get three more points without killing off as many guys as I can? And like, there's a lot of mathematical decisions and adding up stuff. I mean, we're not talking super high numbers again, probably not much more than 20 in most situations, but it is a lot of adding and not, not more than 10 in most situations. I would say 20 is incredible. <laughs> oh, well, no, because a lot of the defense is eight itself. And then you get a couple guys at four, you know, it's like. Six, well, right, but well, but I, I, well, I'll disagree with you and then I'll let you finish uh, what you're saying. You don't sure. have to add up the defenses because you're not going to kill everything 99% of the time. You well, add my up last your couple games, I did. Sub- well, well, like, I, I, I don't know. Maybe I got too good at the game, or maybe I'm cheating in some way or another. But well, wait, wait, because, finish your point. Finish your point. Well, there's plenty of cards that let you discard guys as well. But then I'm like, okay, well, if I'm at 11 and I need to get to, I mean, even if you don't add up the full numbers, it's like, okay, I need to get to eight to defeat that location. Sure, sure. And no, then I need, right, there's right. a guy that has two defense over here. Oh, no, he's three because of this guy. All right, is there a way for me to discard that guy? So he's down to two again. And like, you know, like the order you kill them matters, which leads to. A lot of excitement, but for me, it added. It led to a lot of adding over and over again. It's like, okay, I'm at 11 right now. I need to get to 14. You know, again, it usually isn't even that simple. It's like, I'm at 11. I need to get to 17. Okay, if I don't get to 17, what can I kill at 13? You know what I mean? Like, like, and then what will be left over? Do I care about that? So there's a lot of that. It loses some theme for me. Because I am just looking at numbers a lot of times. Sure. And, and special powers. And I think there's going to be some people that love it. It's a, it's a very interesting puzzle. But it is a very mathematical slash mechanical puzzle. A lot of times when I say games puzzly, for me, it still feels thematic. Here, I don't know that it always did. It felt more math puzzle to me, which I love math. So it's not that's not necessarily a con for me. But right. I do think for some people, it will be. No, that's a great point. I didn't find the math challenging. I know you probably didn't either. So it didn't really come to my brain. But also, I mean, most solo games, I don't really pay attention to the theme that much. I think the theme is here if you want to. Like, you can imagine, you know, Rodrigo running toward, like, the Grenadier and blowing himself up, you know, like, all this stuff. Like, you can you can tell some stories if you want to. But no, you're right, Peter. Like, it does really come down to a lot of mathing things out. And I'll go first because I think I have more negative um, than you do. For me... <sighs> It is not a game I want to play, honestly. And I appreciate the design. And I, <laughs> I, I appreciate, I like when I'm playing it, I'm having a good time puzzling it out. But it is very stressful for me. It is very mathematical for me. And the theme, I, I really don't like. But you know me, I don't like real war games. Now, so that's why I'm a little more interested in the witch's theme and whether yeah. I, I would like that game more. But if this was a game... You know, with all the other games in the world right now, this is usually a game I would not pull off my shelf. Although I think some people will like it a lot. It is not the kind of game that I enjoy a lot. All right. Sorry to force you to play it. <laughs> no, 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 no. I, 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 that's the other thing. I don't want to make it sound like it wasn't a fun, enjoyable puzzle. It was. But just there are too many things that are anti what I like in games. Yeah, yeah, yeah I know. I mean, that, especially, I, I know you don't like war themes. And, and war themes is a big one for me. So just take the, all of that with a huge grain of salt. I actually wish I had been able to play the witches one to tell if it's the theme or if it's the mathematicalness or if it's the anxiety sure. that this game causes in me. It really does. Like even pulling it out, I'm like, oh my gosh, I'm going to have to like 
try to do all these things. And like I said, I've actually even played pretty well lately to the point where I haven't taken yeah. any spies my last two games. And I was like blowing stuff up pretty easily. Like I would have like 19 points and I'm putting stuff all on the left side. Now, the one thing I did do, did you ever draft at the beginning? Yeah. Okay. Cause that I think makes a huge difference. Like you can sure. get some really good, powerful combos and stuff. Like I was drawing extra guys every turn. I was like, pulling my hidden guys out so I didn't mind losing somebody every once in a while. Mm -hmm. Like, I don't know. I I seem to get some really good combos my last couple games. And I was also playing through the campaign. Again, some of the earlier missions, I think, are a little bit easier, too. Oh, for sure, for sure. You know, so there was a little bit of that as well. But I don't think any of that would have affected my overall opinion. Like, just the theme doesn't sing to me, and the mechanics, while fine, were were very mathematical and mechanical. And the anxiety-inducing was real. At least for me. Sure. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. So, I mean, this was one of my top games of uh, last year. It's one of my top solo games of like all solo games right now. I am a big fan of war themes. So that part doesn't bother me at all. I think this is like some of the for for the amount of time you got to put in. I think it's some of the tensest, most engaging, like puzzly kind of choices you're making. And Peter's not wrong. Can't be mathy. And I like the tension and the stress. It sounds like it was <laughs> getting to Peter a little bit much. Well, but especially no, when one. you combine it with that real war theme, right? Like, yeah, that's why well, I yeah, don't I mean, like war themes is like, I don't like to think about people dying and stuff like that. Like, that's not. <laughs> no, no, you're right. So, so I do want to talk about witchcraft. So yeah, totally recommend resist from my perspective, but witchcraft is an interesting kind of uh, drop in the ointment because it's on game found right now. And like they did for resist. I think they delivered resist like two or three months after the crowdfunding campaign was done. Like they have all the files done. When I played in the prototype, we have since since on, uh, I sent it on to will the hungry gamer. When I played in the prototype is like the game, (laughs) you know what I mean? Like, you know, maybe the card stock was a little bit different. Maybe the rule book would have looked a little bit different, but like all the art is done. All the text is good. Like the game plays great. I didn't see any errors, anything wrong with it. Like, so I, I get it. I know why they can print in two or three months after the game is done. It makes sense. So yeah, so that, that that's sort of the weird thing because you don't have to wait that, you know, usually like if a game's on crowdfunding and the previous one is out, you would like be able to get resist right away. You don't have to wait very long to get witchcraft if you like pledge right now. And yeah, for me, I like the theme of witchcraft better. Sounds like Peter would like it a lot better. I don't mind the resist theme, but I like so witchcraft So what is theme the theme of witchcraft? I, I understand witches, but like... So it's like an alternate history, like Salem witch trials kind of thing, except there are like actual vampires and werewolves and like evil witches and demons like attacking the town. And I love that theme. The witches are (laughs) trying to save the town, but if they use their magic in too obvious a way, that's what the revealed mechanic is now. They get thrown in jail. They're not even killed. So if you win the game, all the people who you lost come back, like are fine. Like they get released from jail and they're good to go. So yeah, it's a, it's a less like dire situation. Uh, the win condition is a little bit nicer because uh, basically you're trying to convince the leaders of the town to spare you. And if you convince two out of the three of them, then technically you've like won and like the town like makes witchcraft not illegal anymore and you all get out of jail. Yeah, so so I find the theme like much more kind of charming. It's still got the great art. How's gameplay and, comparatively? Like more? Yeah, so I'll quickly go through the differences. I don't want to spend too long. Sure. <laughs> Y'all can we'll go watch my preview if you want to like see it broken down more. But um, first of all, they have uh, familiar cards now, which never hurt you. But if you beat them in combat, then 
they join your side, like you convince the cat to become your familiar or the lizard to become your familiar, and they give you an ongoing bonus for every round for the rest of the game. So you have like little like upgrade cards you can earn. Another thing that I think is awesome is they have, I think, seven or eight different jurors, different town leaders, and you pick three of them at random each game, and they come with their own completely different set of missions, and they come with their own completely different set of enemies. Oh, that's cool. So Peter was saying, like, it can get a little samey and resist. Like, none of that here. Like, you get entirely different stuff and, like, consistency of these interesting, like, enemies that you're facing that are also, it's thematically tied together. So, like... uh you have a juror who's like the lead hunter in town and his missions are focused on werewolves, which are also the enemies that he adds to the deck. And the werewolves are like eating all the livestock in town. So it's like directly hitting. Oh, I guess he's not a hunter. He's like a, like a, a frontiersman, like shepherd kind of guy. So like, it kind of like makes sense. Like why that portion of the evil forces would be angry at him and why he would be opposed to them. And I don't know, like, I think the theme's a little bit stronger that way. And then this, they have a scenario book again. That's pretty much the same. So, so the biggest thing that people might not like, there's two things. Number one is they got rid of the plan attack distinction. Oh, so there's, there's still two windows to play witches, but you're always going to wait until the second window. Unless like you really, unless it like reveals enemies. unless it reveals enemies. Like right. Yeah. Yeah. So it's like, a, it's, it's more streamlined, but it's slightly less tactically uh, complex. So, I think I think it's a kind of a wash. It's going to depend on your taste. I would the probably like biggest that difference, yeah, yeah. The biggest difference is the ending. It's funny you mentioned Salvation Road. This is a hundred percent a Salvation Road style ending, which some people hate and some people like. Um, in that, the jurors each have a persuasion track, and when you beat missions, you get to pick one of the three jurors and move them up the missions value. Like you're persuading them that you know evil is bad and witches are good, but they have two face down cards that you're adding together on average. They're going to add up to seven because uh, the deck is one through six with like the, the, the mix concentrated on the threes and the fours. You know what I mean? Right. Yeah. But you don't know for sure. Now there are some witches that will reveal them ahead of time, but you're always going into the end, not a hundred percent sure. Cause when you decide to, you go to the trial basically and see if the jurors side with you or not. And then you flip their cards and you're like, I had eight persuasion on this guy. Oh, they needed six. Yay. We convinced them. I had six on this guy. Oh, he only needed four. Yay, we win. I like that clearly because Peter and I designed Salvation Road and we like the like, oh my gosh, like kind of gut check at the end where you see if you won or lost. And again, there's a lot of ways to mitigate it if you want to, but not everyone's going to like that. Um, now, the nice thing is the scenario book does none of that. Like it's entirely a like clear objective right. or even like victory point like style system. So if you hate that, you can just play the scenarios. But I did, as someone who likes those kind of like ending, exciting ending games, I found the new ending mechanic better for my taste. So for me, witchcraft is like almost 100% <laughs> superior to resist okay. as much as I love resist. But if you like the war theme more, if you want the slight uh, higher complexity, if you don't like the idea of that ending mechanic, you know, resist might still be the better buy for you. Well, I'm curious to see, because I'm sure you'll get uh, Witchcraft, and I would like to play it just to see, I mean, leading right almost into our design discussion, whether the theme really makes that much of a difference for me, or mm -hmm. whether it's the mechanics and the anxiety associated with flipping those cards is is what it was. Because it's hard for me to separate, even though, like I, I, like I say, and I didn't feel the theme always when I was playing, 
you know, you always know it's there. It's like Jerry with Bullet, right? Like, Bullet has nothing to do with anime anywhere in the game except for a couple of pictures on it, right? But, yes. like, because it has that anime theme, it turns Jerry off completely. I wonder if just painting a new veneer on this would make the game more enjoyable for me. That, that'll that be a good social experiment or whatever yeah. you want to call it. Agathian Spy said, when can we buy witchcraft? And I put a link in the show notes for the Game Found campaign. You could buy it literally right now, and it's going to deliver probably before the end of the year, maybe even before the end of the summer. Oh, no. I mean, it's, so yeah, they got three <laughs> weeks left, so the campaign will be done in early July. So based on last time, it should be delivering by October. September. September, probably. October. September, October. Yeah. I mean, like it came very, resist came very quickly. And this is like the exact same size box, the exact same size card, the exact same size rule book and scenario book. I would imagine the printing process will only be easier than it was last time, you know? Sure. And I mean, that's our goal with Flame and Fang too, right? So it's nice to have these Kickstarter, GameFound, crowdfunding campaigns where the game is completely done and ready to go. You just need uh, basically to to judge demand so you can send it out and make sure you don't overprint it. Yep. All right, so uh, let's get into what Peter mentioned, our design discussion, which is, like, theme in card games, do you lose it? Like, when you don't have a board, when you don't have locations, when you're not, like, moving, when you don't have a miniature somewhere that represents you, is, like, theme harder to achieve? And I would say, like, first, probably, <laughs> is is my immediate answer. <laughs> Um, do you kind of lean that way as well, Peter? I mean, I think you're losing it in board games in general, right? Like, yes, there are very thematic games, but is the most thematic game going to pull you in as much as the most thematic movie you've ever seen? Mm. Probably not, right? Because you're losing some senses as you go along. Now, you do add a sense, which movies and, and I mean, video games put you in that world sometimes too, right? Now, you can add senses with board games. You add the the sense of touch and you add the sense of, I mean, I guess video games can do that too now with like vibrating controllers and stuff. So I don't know. You you get some things out of it, but I don't think in general board games can do theme as well as movies and video games just based on their limitations of the players. Somebody's got to be reading it right now. App integrated games, I think can do a better job when we're playing ISS Vanguard and we got this thing projected on this giant TV and you hear the person talking to you. I think you add a little bit more. You can get a little bit more thematic integration. I, Mm -hmm. I think detective series, which we didn't love the gameplay in, but I think we can both agree, do a good job of making you like become a detective and like, pin up stuff on a wall and like, okay, how do we connect this thing to the other thing? Right? Like it, it can get you into the theme that way. But I think in general, board games have a hard time. And I think take it one step further. Now you're limiting your components to just cards. And I think, again, anytime you have to do a lot of reading, whatever else, I think all of that takes you out of, you know, making decisions even takes you out of the theme of what's going on. Because when I'm making a decision, it's no longer a character doing something. It's Mm -hmm. me doing something, I guess, which I guess could put you more into it. But it never feels that way to me, right? I never play a game and I'm like, I am going to do this. Because I know I'm not fighting aliens. Like, I know when I turn around, there's not an alien behind me, right? But I I think it's even harder with the cards. Yeah, and kind of on the same point, I feel like... Now, this is not 100% true, and this might be a little bit like me being an old-school D&D player and stuff uh, leaking through. But I tend to feel like, 
the more I have to have my face in cards, reading texts, parsing through abilities, the less I'm able to kind of get into like the theme of a game sometimes. So I tend to find like action system things where like I'm moving a miniature and like taking my actions to be generally a bit more thematic. Now, <laughs> sometimes the action systems can get too mathy and like it's too like specific. Like pandemic, I don't feel like I'm like really living the theme because I'm like so carefully being like, I need to move two and then move this cube here. <laughs> right. and we're gonna lose it if I don't do that. And and cards can also go the other way and be super thematic, you know, like uh Especially when cards are very powerful. Like, I'm thinking, like, when you can, like, fire off some of the strongest cards and stuff, like, Sentinels of the Multiverse or, like, a really expensive card in Marvel Champions. And, like, you do, like, a huge repulsor blast or something or Spirit Island. Exactly. You sink half the island. Yep. Like, there, I think, like, powerful cards can, like, lend themselves to theme. But by and large, I feel like if my face is in cards reading them... I'm a little bit like already less likely to get into the theme. And I feel like, you know, a card game is going to naturally do that more than a game with like board play and miniature movement and that kind of stuff. It's, it's one reason that I find Arkham horror by far the most thematic of the three uh, LCGs, yeah. the three cooperative ones, because it is really a board game. Like you are moving, you are taking actions, you have like a real sense of space and all this stuff. Whereas I feel like you lose a lot of that in Marvel and Lord of the Rings. Don't get me wrong. All three well, of them have like complete, thematic ridiculousnesses you know it's like like dwarves are just popping up or i'm finding tommy guns in bathrooms you know well, right. or uh, in marvel champions like you're trapped in like the collector's dungeon but you like go home and get some cookies from aunt may it's like ah, hey, you know whatever yep. you just gotta roll with it but that that being put aside i do feel like arkham's kind of board game structure and movement makes it feel more like real and thematic to me than a strict card game does yeah, I mean, it's funny because when I think of card games, I think back to my old trick-taking days where you're playing hearts and spades and then you get Magic the Gathering. But even games like Magic the Gathering where it's like, you know, oh, I've got this goblin and I'm making a goblin deck or whatever else. The only thing I really care about, and again, this is personal, is do you have the goblin keyword so I could trigger these abilities on these other cards? <laughs> I'm not like, I'm not, I don't even look at the pictures anymore. For like 99% of the games, I know I might be like unique in this. Because when I talk to Terrence and other people, they're like, oh, yeah, I can recognize what the card is by the picture. I'm like, they have pictures on them? Like, <laughs> like, like, so for me, a lot of times, I, you know, that doesn't immerse me. But I know it does for other people. But, but I do think it is important to try to bring the theme out as best you can, even if you were just using cards. Now, I don't know. Do you think flavor text helps with that? Or do you think it's just... Something else you got to read that doesn't pertain to what you're doing currently. I guess what I like best is when the theme is present enough. And I'll get to your question in a second. When the theme is present enough that if I want to take the time, I can create a story and it'll make sense. Is that kind of? Yeah. Like, so I think resist, for example, does that. Yeah, absolutely. I can picture I can, like every ability. I can picture what that means in a real world sense. Like, if I'm culling a spy card from my deck, that means, like, we spend a lot of time, like, rooting out the spies in the resistance, right? If my, one of my characters flips over an enemy card, that means they went out and scouted the location. Like, it, like right. I think if you want to, everything in there is 100% thematic, Absolutely. and I could tell stories if I wanted to. Another game that that kind of does for me, and, and so, by the way, my, my answer to that is it's not so much the flavor text, it's kind of the combination 
of the title of the card, of the title of abilities, of the art, and the flavor text also. Like well, any, any ability could, itself, I, I think, yeah, yeah, is, yeah. is almost the most important part of that. Right. The, that ability yeah, like what's the actual mechanical thing. Yes. And, and so like an example I use sometimes because I find this game thematic when I want to, and I can tell stories with this game when I want to, is Race for the Galaxy. You know, like stupid like tablet. <laughs> well, not stupid. Wait. It's a great game. But like what, what, what many might seem like as icon overload tableau builder, I think they did a great job personally Every card, I read the title of it. I see what the ability does. And I'm like, yep, 100% makes sense. You know what? I've, I've got shipyards and now I can colonize more easily. Makes total sense. You know, I've got uh, a Venusian like jungle area with fighters. It's letting me get like jungle goods, but also my combat went up. Makes total sense. So I think they did actually a pretty good job of like thematic integration with like mechanics and like titles and art and all of that there. So I appreciate that. Resist, Race for the Galaxy somewhat expeditions the one that we just uh, that i just covered yep. for stonemeyer like not all the cards there's some weird things there but like the items in expedition it's like you get like a teleporter and now you can teleport and <laughs> well, the art yes. shows a teleporter you know what i mean like <laughs> I mean, if, if you get rid of that one wrong there's a problem but yes <laughs> right but, but at the same time like i i i just i i don't I, I appreciate that in card games and i would say like unless you're going for like a straight up trick taker and nobody's going to give a crap like I don't look at the crew and be like, hmm. You don't read those. Well, my those five two here. paragraphs. Of, of, yeah. Well, the flavor well, text. I, mean, I mean, like during play, I mean, like I don't put down like you know, like I'm playing a five blue, which represents the blue ocean that I'm de- diving through. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, like if you're going no theme, just go no theme. But if you think you're doing a game that's thematic, yeah, like I think flavor text, mechanical like effects, all those things can help to at least invite the possibility of storytelling and invite the possibility of uh, emergent story. Whereas I do think board games have a slightly easier time with that, especially if they include narrative elements. I think card games, you got to work a bit more at it, but it's worth it. And based on the, I, <laughs> when I did my expeditions review, people were like, yeah, Scythe is a super thematic game. I tell lots of stories while I play Scythe. And I've never felt Scythe was thematic at all. But again, the possibility that your game allows people to create stories from it I think is beautiful and doing that graphic design and mechanical, like thematic integrated work. Like I, th- I think we did that pretty well with Mega Man. I would hope uh, our most recent game design yep. is out. Salvation Road. Like, I think was our a- best job of that, of, of the three that are released. Sure. I think Salvation Road, you really got emergent narrative and we yes. weren't telling a story. Like the story was the same. It's almost pandemic. Like each mission you're kind of doing the same puzzle, but it's very different based on the characters, the locations, things like that. But there was always a different story that came out of it, you know, and the characters, special abilities really had a lot to do with that. And again, you know, we, we tried to thematically tie them that in. And, you know, a lot of that is just cards, right? Like we could have had no board in that game. Now, I do think there is something tactical about having a miniature on the board that you're controlling, and and that's where I wanted to go. Like, I don't know that a card game is ever going to be as tactical or thematic as a miniatures or a game that has miniatures in it, because I just think, or or even standees, just having that representation on a board, that physical space is an important part of like understanding your surroundings. Now, some people are more auditory. Some people are more visual and I do Mm. think it matters. And so I think the more senses that you can include again, even touch 
Like when I touch cards, I don't feel anything. When I pick up a miniature, though, it, it, it's a different feeling to it and a different connection to my character. I am clearly moving when I pick up that miniature and move it from one space to another. And I think that's why a lot of times people don't want like, no, 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 don't move my piece for me. I want to do that myself, right? Because now mm. I, I feel like I'm going somewhere. I'm making progress, whatever else. I mean, I guess the other question is, does it matter? I mean, you, you mentioned games like The Crew. Like not every game has to be thematic. I love playing the crew. Nothing about the enjoyment of that game has anything to do with anything thematic to me. I enjoy the puzzle that that game creates and honestly resist, even though I keep talking about how I don't like the theme. It didn't really, the more I think about it, like I never thought of myself as a a civil war fighter in the game. I was just trying to get numbers to match up. Right. (laughs) And And even Marvel champions, one of my favorite games, like the card play is what makes that game great to me. I don't know that I care what I'm fighting. or I, I, I care that there are different challenges every time I play it, but I don't know that I care that I am fighting Rhino this time. I don't feel like I'm fighting Rhino or Claw or whoever else. So, I mean, I guess the question to throw back is, does it matter? <laughs> I, th- I think a big thing is like, is there a mismatch in the marketing and the promise and like what is sold to people versus the gameplay? Sure. So if I read marketing copy or I saw a review of the crew that talked about the amazing story and that I felt like I was really diving in the ocean and then I played the crew. Oh, by the way, I guess I'm thinking of crew deep sea. It's, it's yeah, yeah, the ocean it's one, like yeah. outer space. Yeah, yeah. I would feel a little bit annoyed at that. Okay. <laughs> you know what I mean? But yeah, if somebody's like, hey, this is great cooperative trick-taking game, I'll be like, hell yeah. And then I'll play the crew and I'll be like, that was a great cooperative trick-taking game. Sure. <laughs> that was exactly what I wanted it to be. <laughs> yeah, you know, or if, or if some games like, you know, delve into a dungeon, it's like Dungeons and Dragons, but like just with cards, you know, and then I'm playing like, I don't know, Hero Realms, <laughs> which is a great, <laughs> you know, it's a, it's a solid uh, deck builder, but I don't feel like I'm dungeon delving. Well, a little bit with the cam- campaign mode they added, but. If you're playing yeah, Uno, so I think it, Uno, D&D Uno. Right. (laughs) (laughs) Right. But something else I wanted to say, and this goes back to another design discussion we had, I don't know, a year ago, who knows when. But we talked about like kind of who is you and avatars in games. And I think a lot of what we're talking about does come down to that. Because like when you have a miniature on a board, that is you. You know, when you have a character, that is you. Or even in Marvel Champions, although I agree that's an easy one to kind of like get into the cards and not worry about the theme. But, like, you have a hero, and it is clear, like, in the thematic kind of, like, cards that you're playing that your hero is doing stuff. Like, if I play Repulsor Blast and I'm Iron Man, I am shooting a Repulsor Blast, and it kills that guy, you know? Well, and honestly, Whereas, I, I mean, I joked about theme, but I, I do, comparing that to Lord of the Rings, I, it, it's a huge difference for me. Oh, like, that, that's what I was about to say. Like, Lord yeah, of the Rings. Yeah, Lord of the Rings, you have three heroes. You're playing cards with no, like, real rhyme or reason of, like, who's doing it. You know what I mean? Or, like, who's setting the trap, who's, like, shooting the bow, that kind of thing. Yep. And then and then you just, like, get allies. Now, it depends on your deck. There are decks that focus much more on heroes, you know, and there are deck. I'm sure if Steve can come in and tell me there's, like, a deck that uses a single hero and it's great. Um, but, yeah, there's a Gandalf deck. That's that's what I've heard. Sure. Um, and, and, they, and, and they made that better because they released, like, a... Uh, I forget what they were called, but like these add on cards you can like use with your deck where they give you a lot of bonuses for only having one here. They give you a lot of bonuses for doing X, Y, or Z. So they kind of like make it work. But yeah, but a lot of that game and Marvel champions has this to an extent. And so does Arkham, but not nearly as much as Lord of the Rings is like allies popping up and dying immediately, (laughs) you know, like allies popping up and like helping you quests and stuff. 
so yeah, I, th- I think like the team nature of Lord of the Rings, at least for me, compared to Arkham and Marvel, is a clear distinction of like Avatar, clear me in the game, clear identity versus like a kind of nebulous group. And I would say Resist has that too. Like I, I am the leader of this resistance cell, right? <laughs> but I'm not that guy who just got shot. I'm not that guy who right. like just went hiding. I, I'm not going to draw them for a while. I'm, I'm, I'm me. I'm coordinating, uh, which is common for a war game. But again, I don't think is the best way to like sell kind of the ownership of theme and all that. And that, that's, and none of this is a criticism. Like Peter didn't say with the crew, this is just, it's just taste. It's just, it's just flavors of gaming, but you want to have the right flavor for your audience theoretically, or at least tell them which flavor you're working with. Well, I think the biggest thing I got out of this conversation is what you said earlier. Theme isn't always about pictures on cards. It isn't always about flavor text. It's about matching the mechanics of the card with the title of the card. And like, does it behave the way it should behave? And, you know, obviously balance is part of that as well, right? So like, you have to think about, I think those are probably the most important things to think about when you're designing these card games is making sure the flavor is there. And certainly you want balance. Mm-hmm. Again, it doesn't have to be perfect balance, especially if it's a cooperative game. You don't even want perfect balance because then it's boring and you have no choices because if I pick one thing over the other, it doesn't even matter. Mm-hmm. But I do think the card should do what you think it does. And I mean, even with a game like Flame and Fang we've made to be one of our more family-friendly and um, more straightforward games, you know, you're only dealing with three symbols, but we took painstaking care to make sure that every action feels like you're doing what you would be doing in that situation. And the card's getting more powerful. It feels like you're getting more powerful. It feels like you're leveling up throughout the game. You could do that with even minor subtle differences on cards and make them feel thematic. And I think it's important to do that. Spirit Island's one of the best examples to me that did a really good job of that. Yeah, well, and one final thing I'll add, just for anybody who's designing a game out there, if you want, if you have like a heroic thing or you want like your characters to feel powerful and you want people to like feel a bit more like theme in your characters, whether it's cards or like an ability on your player board or something, let people do awesome stuff. Yep. That is ridiculously powerful. Yep. Maybe the card goes away. Maybe it's once per game. Maybe it's only after you level up a certain amount. I don't care, but. Maybe you those are hard to trigger that, it. Right. But those are the things that create stories. Like when. In Spirit Island, you play a card to, like, wipe out an entire swath of the map with, like, ravaging jaguars. You're going to remember that. Yep. You know, or when you 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 work up to, like, your six-cost Marvel Champions card that combos with this other card, and you do 20 damage to the boss in one go, you're going to remember that. When you're playing uh, Sentinels of the Multiverse, I guess Greater Than Games is good at this <laughs> particular phenomenon. Yep. When you're playing Sentinels in the Multiverse and uh, you're playing uh, Tachyon, like the Flash character, and you play her Flurry of Punch card after you built it up for like half the game, you do 30 damage to like <laughs> the strongest enemy, you're going to remember that. So like OP abilities that don't happen that often are way more interesting. And, and even like, I don't love the theme in Pandemic, but sometimes playing those event cards feels awesome, you know, yeah. and like saves the friggin' day. So even those are an example of like, you don't get to do it all the time. It's once per game. You might not even see that card or might not come up when you need it to. But when it works out, it's going to be great. You'll be high-fiving about it. Yeah. So yeah, I would just say in general, like 
feel the freedom to make cards too good. <laughs> you know well, in I mean? co-op games specifically. In, in, well, but even in uh, even in competitive deck builders, you know, like how cool it is when you manage to buy that like eight cost card. Yeah, that, like lets you draw three cards and also like does t- twenty damage or something. Like e- even there, as long as you have a balancing mechanic to make it not stupid, <laughs> um, the s- strong is fun. Strong is fun. Yeah. No, I agree. I totally agree. But anyway, no, I think that was a good review. Sorry, I was a little more negative on resist. I didn't even think I was going to be that negative until I got to my final thoughts, and I'm like, yeah. <laughs> this is uh this is different than I thought I was gonna end up, but uh you know, it is what it is. I gotta I gotta keep it honest for the people. I'm not gonna charge oh, yeah. seventy five hundred dollars, tell them I'm not gonna put their video up. Oh wait, did I just shoot fire some shots? Sorry. <laughs> yep, yep, we're good. We're good. <laughs> uh, <laughs> all right, everybody. So uh that'll be that. Uh let us know your comments, whether you're on the uh, podcast or the uh the YouTube channel or come uh, talk to us on Discord and you can tell us what you think about Resist or Witchcraft or card games or whatever. All right, everybody. We'll see you soon. Bye. Bye. Thanks for joining us again for the One Stop Co-op Shop podcast. Check out our YouTube channel at One Stop Co-op Shop. Also, join us for games and discussion on our Discord channel. You can support us on Patreon at patreon.com slash one stop or leave us a review on iTunes. Thanks again and we'll see you next week for another top five list. Hey, Mike. Yeah. I'm resisting taking off work the rest of the year and playing games and making this my full time thing. I'm off work for the summer in one week. I'm not going to resist anymore next week. I'm taking the week (laughs) off. Let's play some games. Let's go.